Welcome, everybody. This is another episode of Buckingstock News Podcast, powered by Two Bulls Feeds. Um, Thor, what do you what do you think today? Man, just uh, glad to be here. Glad to be doing another one. We uh, had a good weekend and back to the grind. It's it's sure been fun. It seems like people are enjoying the podcast. I know it's it's fun to talk to these guys and and see how they do things and, and talk to people from around the country as everybody does something different uh, with their programs or bulls. And, you know, we've talked to some fraternity guys, some, some big bull guys. It's just interesting to see how, how everybody does everything. Extremely. Yeah, it's, um, it'll be nice to keep going and learn from everybody. So so leading leading uh, into our first deal, uh, uh, this weekend, Bordertown Casino and Arena uh, there in Seneca, Missouri, Wyandotte, Oklahoma. Uh, they had an event. Pretty interesting. Uh, they had their first heifer class of the year. Um, kind of starting off, the, the, the heifer deal is pretty pretty wide open. Some heifers were getting DQ'd, falling down. Uh, you know, some what, heifers trying to put it together. What DQ's them, Kyle? Falling down or? or... Yeah, if, if they if they fall, it's, it's a DQ. Okay. Uh, with within the ABBI rules, um, but anyways, there was there was a heifer there. I mean, you you talk about you know bulls trying to put it together, and heck, these heifers it was a yearling class. So I mean, we're talking just barely weaned. You know what I mean? And there was a heifer be ninety and a quarter points. Uh, Houdini daughter, she was actually an embryo calf. Um, I was, saw that she was fantastic. What was her? Do you remember what her mom was? Yeah, it was a Jerry Cop cow, a war zone daughter, the old war zone, a Hargesis. Yep. But I, it was just, it's interesting to see, you know, a lot of guys trying to dial in these bulls and heck, here's a heifer beat 90 and a quarter, you know, right out of the, right off the bat of the event. Absolutely. How many were entered, do you know? Hey, I think there was 14 or 15, somewhere, somewhere right around in there. That's not bad. Uh, they also had a youth class moving in. Tayson Parker, he kind of cleaned house, uh, partners with DNH Cattle. Um, one thing I thought was pretty cool, kind of looking into into the genetics and stuff of it, uh, the PBR was also in Sacramento, California. Uh, that Autry Dark Knight of Payson's that won the youth fraternity uh, was a 56Z lifting live son. Um, we all know, Thor, you were there in, in Vegas, his two-year-old year. Heck, he was, what, 94 points? Yeah, that was one of the best. That was one of the best dummy dummy trips I've ever seen in, in my life. You know, kind of, it's kind of cool to see them bulls that bucked with a dummy and were successful, uh, you know, breeding these calves that, that buck with a dummy. But even cooler, you know, that Ot 3E, he, he won the youth fraternity in round one of Sacramento. Cody Jesus was 88 points on his sire lifting lives to win the round. Kind of ironic. Well, that, thought that was pretty cool. That was way cool. And I, I'm a big fan of Cody, uh, but that was a rank ride too. I mean, Cody, Cody put it on that bull. Well, kind of moves ahead a little bit, kind of yeah. kind of hard to track right through there. Yeah. Hey, a little off subject, but I don't I don't know the answer to this. What uh what? How do you get in the youth class? Like, do you have to be under a certain age? Do you have to flank your own calf? I don't. All, I don't all the all the above. Gotcha. How you old do you be, have to be? Do you know? Uh, it's either under seventeen or under eighteen, uh, I believe. Um, I want to say under eighteen, but yeah, you have to you have to be able to flank flank your own calf. I got you. So you don't necessarily have to have raised it or anything. You just got to bring it to town. Nope. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. That's cool. Did uh, they have they a good also, turnout in that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think there was quite a few calves in it, too. Paid four or five holes. Um, sure, sure. It, it's neat to see the youth coming up in the 
in the program. You know, that's where it's all at, I guess, in any aspect of life. Yeah. Uh, moving in, they had a, a ladies fraternity as well, uh, something I think everybody's kind of been waiting to see. Bruiser, you know, multi-time bull of the year, uh, PRCA bull of the year. Uh, heck, there was a – the bull that win, win the ladies fraternity was a, was a Bruiser's son. Uh, he was pretty outstanding in the door around the right, out of the right, uh, to, I think, Red Laces, uh, Brandon Stewart, Kenzie Stewart, the bull is pretty, pretty good. He said he's, I talked to Brandon, said he's finally feels like he has him dialed in and seems like his wife might be getting along a little better with him than he does. Oh, there you go. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the open fraternity, uh, is kind of neat little story here. Um, these, these calves nowadays are worth a bunch of money and, and, uh, sell for a lot of money there's a lot of money on the table with with the abbi events you know um but anyways uh tom tom and peggy uh laramie wilson they they won the open with a with a pretty nice painted calf but the neat thing was mike white had his dispersal sale and and laramie bought that bull for tom uh for four thousand heck he was kind of kind of a gamble you know and and laramie's a really good good bull trainer and and has had a lot of success in the past and uh, he's back in the winter circle, but but with a bull that didn't cost very much. That is, uh, I love those stories. Those are always my favorite stories. Cheap cheap cow holding the baby in her belly, or cheap bull that somebody else didn't think was going to work. I, those stories get me fired up. Oh yeah, for sure. It's it's just neat to to see the the progress within bulls. You can notice the bull's potential, you know. Yeah. But anyways, it was a good good turnout, Border Town. Um, actually pretty excited to introduce our guest I, I think he was at border town this weekend if i'm not mistaken um but our guest is uh roy doyle retired bull rider abbi judge now uh he made the pbr finals as a bull rider five times as well as nfr three times and he's pretty pretty uh accomplished as a judge uh judge of pbr finals three times in the abbi finals all these competition bulls 11 times i think that says a little bit about about his abilities Absolutely. Glad to be here, guys. What's going on, Roy? I'll just listen to you guys talk about the great bulls that were at Seneca this week. Uh, man, we started off with the heifers and the, the heifer that won first, about as hard as any bull that was there this weekend, maybe harder, especially for her age. And there was a couple of calves right behind her that really were starting to kind of figure it out and really had some outstanding trips. But, you know, they're babies, so we had a lot of them that did fall. and. And with the bull stats, and I guess they're going to have to throw in heifer stats now, but it's <laughs> nice to be able to put a DQ by a heifer that falls trying to perform so hard instead of a you know a low number and have to you know give her a pretty good hit for not staying on her feet. And uh, we got to see a, a great kid kids class. I mean, the top end bulls were outstanding, but uh, the they went a lot deeper than they normally do, being really good. So that's good to see the youth you start to figure out what calves to bring to town and like I said the whole whole weekend was good we bucked I think 90 bulls there and and uh the guys did a good job that we were officiating so I think uh nobody's that mad other than the guy that's one hole out and he's always mad so. <laughs> always, <laughs> never, never gonna satisfy that guy luck of the draw I guess you could say but kind of kind of touching base Roy we you know we we see you've been to the finals PBR finals five times NFR three times as a bull rider kind of touch base a little on on your rodeo background I mean you you had the you rode bulls and obviously transferred into the judge but how how long do you rodeo and and how did you kind of get going in that 
Well, I grew up in a rodeo family. My dad rodeoed uh, professionally back in the late 60s, early 70s. He traveled with world champions Larry Mahan and George Paul. Uh, traveled a lot with George Paul the year that he won the world. And from there, he grew up a little kid. He always worked on ranches. When I, some of his big as I can remember, we were somewhere on a ranch. He was either working on a ranch or managing a ranch. So I was around livestock, cattle, and horses my whole life. And, I always want to be like your dad, so I grew up wanting to be a bull rider. Uh, Unlike nowadays where these kids have an opportunity to start from the mutton busting up, I grew up in East Texas, so we really didn't get into the rough stock end of it until we were in junior high and high school. And, uh, and of course, we didn't have anywhere near the caliber of bulls back then to learn on like guys have to get on these days with these breeding calves. You know, everybody's got one in their backyard now, it seems like. But started riding bulls at junior high age of rodeo through high school uh, left there went to college went to the college finals two years in a row was reserve champ both years and then got my permit the, my, my second year and uh, finished my rookie year second in the rookie standings and uh, 35th in the world and then the next year I was a uh, was my first NFR I got to go three times uh, 95 and 96 were really good. I won my first go around in 95, and then I came back in 96 and won the, the eighth go around. And one of my favorite bulls, wild thing, of Mac Altizers. Uh, and then in the tenth round, I got to ride the bucking bull of the year that year, Dodge Ram, aka Red Wolf. I won the tenth go around on him. It was 94, and you're gonna get your career high at any place in the world. Back in those days, especially with the PBR being so new. Uh, 94 points at the national final rodeo on the 10th go around. That's about as good as it can get for an up and coming bull rider. I get so, Got a, had a few years of injuries plagued me there, and then uh, had a great year in '99. Got to go back to the NFR again, competed in six rounds, and I got injured in the sixth round. Had to miss the rest of it, and then uh, all the injuries just started tacking on to me after that. So I kind of started weaning myself out of the riding physically because I couldn't keep up with it, but. uh I got into the judging part when I was injured. Uh, the first one I went and judged was Grand Rapids, Michigan, and built uh, Ford Tough of all places. That's a great place to kick a guy out, <laughs> test the fire. And the uh, best part about that bull ride, I remember, is we got to the short round where back in those days, you know, there could be a bull ride like St. Louis where there's nine, you know, seven or eight nineties in one fifteen head riding, and. Uh, I, I worked an event where they bucked everybody off in the short round. It just seemed like everybody had the one bull that they didn't get along with. So kind of eased me and took the pressure off me having to screw that up at a, at a first event. But I had my knees operated on after I got injured at the NFR and uh, missed a whole year of riding because of a broken neck and my knees getting operated on. So I went and did some challenger events that year and started trying to get my legs under me and starting to really get with the judging deal. And when Cody Custer was hired as the PBR judging coordinator, and I can't even remember what year, it's probably a good 12 years ago, 13 years ago, he kind of had a core group of guys, Sean Ramirez, Dean Randolph, uh, Monty Mask, you know, younger guys, and as well as some of the older guys that were still judging. And we kind of all got on the same page and started learning how to judge in a, in a particular way where you get the bull and then the rider goes off with the performance of the bull. And it made it pretty simple for guys that were young. You know, when you're growing up riding, you think that's an 85-point ride. Well, we kind of learned how to, to do it the other way. Well, that's a 21-point bull, 22 ride. Okay, that's 86. So you're you're not trying to back your way into what you want to mark the bull. You get your bull score first. 
all of that led into being the perfect timing for the ABBI to get started with these bull competitions. Uh, Joe Merritt ran the office there in Sayre, Oklahoma, and I was fortunate enough to be living in Sayre when uh, when they broke, you know, got this really going hard. From they bought the restaurant from Bob Tom and they moved it up there, and Joe was the first guy to run the program. And so I was in on the ground floor, and I got to be in a lot of good meetings, and I got to go do a lot of early events with some guys that that were hungry to learn the the way to judge bulls as a competition, not just the bull riding. So that I was very fortunate to get started in that aspect of it, and and from there it's just taken off because it's like anything else, you know, guys start winning money with these bulls, then they started wanting to buck them with dummies, and then they realize, hey, we can have competitions with the dummies on. It. <laughs> it just it's it's gotten crazy, and everybody knows the bull business, the bull side of it has leaps and bounds ahead of the riders. You know, of course you got to wait. 15, 16 years before you find out if a kid's going to make a professional bull rider. Well, you got to wait about 16 months now to find out if your bull's going to be a top-level yeah. cast to yeah. win money with. So it speeded up the, the, the financial aspect of bull bull business greatly. Yeah. That's that's kind of neat to hear how, you, how you're in from the very beginning. And it's also kind of ironic that you went from your rodeo background to the judging background, and that's exactly how I had it on my list in order to ask you. But the next thing, leading after the judging background, um, these events have kicked off. Kind of a couple things go hand in hand here. There's there's ABBI, and not just ABBIs, but competition events all over the country, whether it be with a dummy, derby, classics, anywhere from North Carolina to, to California. And and with that being said, there's got to be a bunch of guys that, that that know what they're doing. And it seems to be something here lately that, that you've been going around doing some judging seminars. I know you just did one in Colorado and in a previous podcast, Cord uh, McCoy, he's kind of touched on wanting to do one at his house, kind of touch on them seminars and and what it's, what it's doing for for the judges that that are wanting to learn or judges that, that do judge, but are wanting to improve their skills. Yeah. um, The first thing about the two-year-old and the three-year-olds and the baby calves bucking I have seen outstanding bulls. I've judged events in North Carolina to to California, Texas, Oklahoma, even did one in Idaho, uh, or I say Idaho, North Dakota this summer in between going to from one pro rodeo to another. There's great bulls everywhere. You can go to a backyard jackpot right down here in North Texas, uh, one of the TVBA events, the Baco sanctioned ABBA events also. And you can have eight bulls in the class and three of them be 87-point or better bulls. I mean, it's just getting like that everywhere. So there's more guys that are wanting to judge that are getting involved in learning the criteria that it's going to take because you can't send the same eight guys to all these events at the same time. So with the with the expansion of the bull market and the bull competition, we've had an expansion of a group of guys wanting to judge, and we're starting to find a lot of younger guys getting involved, which I think is great. I did a seminar about three years ago for the Buckers Unlimited up there in Denver during the PBR they have in Denver and uh, it went over really good there were some really you know pretty green guys some older guys that you know had kind of had that old school mentality and never been around the calf deal and we just discussed the criteria pretty pretty thoroughly and kind of get to understanding what was going on and we watched some videos and we you know not lots of ranked bulls we watched lots of just regular bulls and then the last couple of years, we've been able to throw more videos of cats with dummies in to give those guys more of an opportunity to see that. 
and they're getting in front of a lot of calves up there now because their their competitions are getting bigger and more numbers. But the one we did the other day uh, was north of Denver, up around Fort Upton somewhere. I can't remember the guy's place, and I'm terrible with names, so it's you know, excuse me. I'm a guy to see somebody's face. I won't ever forget it, but I might not remember your name tomorrow. Uh, but we got to go in there and discuss all the criteria and get everybody on the same page, and then we actually physically went down 200 feet down the, the outside the shop to a set of pins and watched 10 calves buck, and I'm telling you, you couldn't have pulled out a better set of 10 calves because we had everything from the one that ran in a circle to one that fell down. We had one that went a long ways before he bucked. We had some that spun right in the gate and tried to buck hard. We even had one that broke the plane of the chute and stood there for a while. And then went out a little ways and turned by me. It was everything you'd want in a seminar. So we get done with that. Everybody's wrote down their scores. And, and I did something there we haven't done before because it's really getting to be uh, a main mandate in the AVI to run a stopwatch during these calf events. And we discussed how long the dummy stayed on on certain calves and, you know, how much past the four seconds. You know, the dummy might not even come off for six seconds. And it was good to see guys that actually had the correct times down or within a, you know, a quality range. And it tells me that they're trying to learn how to run their stopwatch, watch the animals compete, put all the criteria together, and come up with a number. So the biggest deal is when a stock contractor says, how did you get that bull to that score? You may not be able to break it down number by number by criteria, but if you can give him a reasoning using criteria, how you got your score based, it's hard for a guy to say you were wrong because it's still an opinion of every guy that's there writing a number down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd say that's one of the big things I've heard some guys talking. I'm friends with some guys up there that you actually did that seminar with, and they said one of your biggest things, talking to them guys, you know, they asked their score, and and you'd say, well, well, why? How how did you get that? And as long as they they can back up why they marked that bull, that's that's acceptable. Yeah, because – no stock contractor wants to hear, I don't know, or I didn't see enough, or I just thought he was better than the other one. This this competition age of the bucket bulls has gotten so tough and so uh, you know difficult to pick winners and even spread them around that you need to know what you're doing and have a really legitimate answer to that stock contractor for him to value your opinion as an official. I can hire anybody to go sit down and write numbers, and they could probably get close. But when it comes to nitpicking, I want a guy that can say, hey, that boy had quite a bit more buck than this calf over here, but he had a little bit less kick. But they can give you a, a general idea of what, what criteria this animal I like better than the one that he beat. For sure. So leading into all this you've been talking about, you keep talking about the criteria. Uh, not too long ago, uh, maybe a few years ago, the ABBI implemented a uh, five-category system. Um, I'm not so sure that they use that still anymore. You may can correct me, but, but do you guys still go off of, you know, whether you mark them one to five or whatever, but kind of, kind of going basic through this bull had bucks, this bull had intensity. Is that still something you guys base your scores off of? Yeah. When the, when the five degree of, when the five criteria first came out, they did apply a number system. At first we were doing all five criteria and you had to add up, a two and a quarter, a four and a quarter, a three and a half, you know, for every one of them to get your number. That got to be where it was really painstakingly took a little too long. And when you're using the criteria, the numbers for the animals seems to drop a little bit because it takes 
a bull to be a four all the way across the board just to be a 20. So mm-hmm. when you're starting to critique one very hard in one criteria or the other, it kind of pulls your scores down. But what we do now is, yeah, we kind of have a, a number in mind, what I'm going to use in each criteria. But like I talked to the guys up there, I would just want to judge or somebody that's judging to be able to say, that animal was really high in this criteria, or he was average or below average or above average. That way you and a stock contractor don't get to nitpicking over whether you thought he was a four and kick and he thought he was a four and a half. But if mm-hmm. you can both agree that he was way above above average and kick or he was average or below average, you can understand what the judge is seeing and also the contractor can learn, okay, I don't need my bull to be a five and kick because I might think a five and that guy over there might think he's a four, but we're both going to agree that he was very high and excelled in that criteria during that, that trip. So kind of touch base just quick on, on what the five categories are, being that there may be some people listening that, that don't know. Okay. Uh, the, the criteria, the first one on the list is usually they start with buck. Buck mainly refers to how far off the ground that bull's front feet are getting or his shoulders. You know, I call it turning loose of the ground. When I start seeing the bull really get his front end up in the air, you know, that's something that you don't see a lot of, and you're seeing more of it now because we're getting these calves bred so good. But uh, it's a criteria that I personally like to use a lot to help separate it because the bull business has done a great job of creating bulls that all kick and spin. That's to, to me, that's sort of the easiest criteria to instill in a set of bloodlines to make sure they got some kick and make sure they spin. But if you can get buck involved in it, and that, that's something that's going to elevate that bull's score, and, and that adds difficulty, which is another one of the criteria. But first we'll start with buck, and that's, like I said, how far the front end comes off the ground, and it also adds drop as they turn into a rider bull because the higher they buck, the harder they're going to come when they farther they're going to come when they come back to the ground. Uh, second is kick. And uh, that's how high the hind end comes up in the back and, you know, how straight up and down the bull is. And the later he kicks into the, the, the trip, is more difficult he's going to act because he's going to make him have more drop. And these calves, you don't see it as much in the dummy as you do with a rider bull. But, uh, you know, the kick is not just how high their butt gets in the air, but it has, you know, you could use whether their feet are tucked, whether they kick them out the back or whether they were straight over their head. You know, there's a, some guys see that a different way. When you're into these calf deals with a dummy, I think a lot of these calves are so close. There's times where I have to separate two calves by one that had full extension of his kick every jump, and another one may have tucked his feet under himself just one time because of mm-hmm. some reason. But that may be the quarter point that I can tell you this bull was better than the other one. So kick is, a, is another criteria that's really helpful in splitting some bulls that are generally going to be around the same in the, you know, spin or the buck cutter. You can use kick so, to split them a little bit. So kick doesn't necessarily mean extension. It's a, it's more or less a breakover. But when you come to separating calves that really buck, the extension is a part of a part of kick that helps separate those bulls, correct? I believe in the, in the dummy age, the yearlings and the two-year-olds, there's so many good calves that if you don't give a little bit of an edge over an animal that extends his back feet in the kick over one that doesn't, you're you're leaving your chance. You're leaving yourself too much of a chance to have those bulls the same. You've got to critique these calves, especially the good ones, 
at the top level so hard to not have 14 bulls tied for first that that's something I look for. And when you learn these criteria, when you go watch a bunch of bulls and just watch the buck and you watch just the kick and just the spin and all those criteria by themselves, you'll start noticing as you're judging when you start watching that bull buck that you notice how good they're doing a certain criteria with the total trip. Mm-hmm. So, you know, next criteria would be spin, and that's pretty self-explanatory. Some people call it changing directions, and, um, you know, spinning is making a revolution, uh, and that's has speed involved. A bull that, that spins, basically, I'm going to give a bull a five. If they open the gate and he turns and he's spinning in one direction the whole time, that's the easiest criteria for a guy to get in his mind. That animal's a five in spin. You know, mm-hmm. if he's really fast, that's going to add difficulty. If he slows down, that's going to, you know, have less difficulty. But if he's turning and spinning the whole time, that's pretty easy to teach a really young judge. There's your five and spin. And now yeah. if he goes one direction and has a jump forward and goes back the other direction, I can explain that to a very green judge. I might pull a quarter to a half point off of that bull because there's one time in that trip where he's going straight, even though he went right back and changed direction the other way. So it's another tool you can use to just not have animals bundled up and tied where you can split them a little bit. Um, the next next criteria would be intensity. Uh, intensity is one, uh, when a bull is really, I say when he's, intending to do what he's trying to do and that's usually that little bit of fire or you know bull that's hot really mean or has lots of speed that's a bull that's really high intensity now intensity enhances buck kick span difficulty but an animal can also not have any of that and be very intense we've all seen that calf that you open a gate and he runs across the ring with the dummy on but man he is pissed off and mad and he is running and hard and fast as he can do it that calf still very high in intensity, he's just not doing any of the other criteria to help his score get up. But uh, For sure. It's kind of the difference between an animal that seems like he's just kind of going through the motions. He had to go to work today, but he really didn't want to be there, so he's just doing enough to get by, as mm-hmm. opposed to the guy that's loving his job. He's there. He wants to do all of his work and some of his buddies, and he's just excited to be there. That's, that's the intensity, and i tell you what, that helps you a lot on them calves that kick and spin. They may look like they're doing almost the exact same thing, but that one, you just see that little bit of, you know, fire in their eyes or, or a little bit of snort when they're doing it, or, you know, there's just something about them. You tell he wants to be a bucking bull today, whereas the other one was just, you know, hey, they put me on the trailer and made me come, so here we go. That's <laughs> intensity. Um, so, back to grid. You got one more left. I'll let you yeah. finish. Degree of difficulty. It's a little harder to understand it in the in the age events because you're never going to buck the dummy off. You know, the, the old school adage is you can't mark a bull of 25 if he doesn't throw the rider off. Well, the dummy stays on every calf. Uh, one thing you can do when you're watching a calf buck, if that old dummy is sitting up there when one is turning back and spinning and it looks like you could set a cup of coffee on it and it ain't going to fall off, that tells you no matter what that bull's doing, he's probably not very difficult to ride. But you watch another calf that's doing kind of the same thing, but the dummy may be dropping over the right shoulder or, or the you know over one shoulder or the other or going back and forth. And that tells me that he's doing something while he's bucking that's going to make it difficult for him to ride if there was a rider involved. 
and, you know, a bullet spins and maybe bucks in a square and steps ahead a little bit or has a big roll while he's spinning, you know, all that adds difficulty. Sometimes the most difficult bull is one that's not very high in, in buck, kick, or spin, but he's really intense and he's rolling out through there and he's lunging. You know, that's very high difficulty, very high intensity. But there again, when you put him with the other three criteria, he's not going to get a very high score. Ultimately, the criteria were created to reward the animal that has the highest combination of all five of them. And that's where you see in the two-year-olds, especially in the urines. Uh, the cat, you know, in a bucket bull deal, he may not be the rankest bull out, but he is doing every criteria at such a high level. I used to say it's kind of like in a bull competition, Black Pearl would beat Bushwhacker because he's doing all the criteria at a high level where maybe Bushwhacker doesn't have spin because he went three jumps before he turned back to the guy off. That doesn't mean Black Pearl was ranker, but for a bull competition aspect, he's a more complete bucket bull. So, so what you're saying is is two things. The, the, the criteria was designed for, for each of the two to complement each other <clears throat> depending on the bull's certain trip that day. And also that in these competition events, there there's a difference between between a bucking bull and a competition bull, being that a, a bucking bull can be ranked, but like Bushwhacker and be a few and, and, and throw the guy off, but be bucking hard. But a competition bull is dang near got to be complete from the time they open the gate. Exactly. And, that, and that's the way the ABBI designed this program, is to reward the animals that were combining the most criteria, you know, there's bulls in the past that we're not seeing anymore. Um, jungle fever or whatever, the spotted cat that was a few years back, was great, great bull in the competition age because he had really high numbers in all the criteria, but he didn't transition over into the bucking bull part because he just ended up being a really good spinner because he didn't you know, quite have the size and he didn't have the, you know, the power that some of those other bulls do. And you see it a lot of the other way. You'll see a cat that doesn't, completely fit the package as a two-year-old is usually one of those bulls that transitions to the three-year-old in the classic age and becomes a better bull as time gets going. For sure. Yeah, and that's, I think the bull you're, you're referring to is Jungle Fear. Heck, you won the American Heritage Fraternity World Champ, and I'm pretty sure uh, Circle T gave a pile of money for him, and heck, he was 21 average, pretty nice bull with a cowboy. But um, That's exactly right. So so leading, leading into a couple different things that that are following in with, with what we just got through with. Now, all the categories, obviously, it's it's what you're looking for. But surely, surely a judge has got to have a little bit of a personal preference within those categories. An example, uh, you know, on a degree of difficulty, a bull that, that drifts out or drifts down the bucket shoots versus stays right in the same place. Do, do judges have a preference? I mean, and is that okay? i tell you what I've learned, and I've worked with most of the guys that judge in the ABBI, especially the ones in the you know, middle part of the country. I have a friend of mine that's a, he's done the ABBI finals. He likes a bull that has speed, that kicks, but he likes him to move. You know, kind of that West Coast, Bramer, John, you know, ground, grounding, John Kiss type bull, lots of speed, Wolfman kind of action. That will be his high mark bull if there's five of us judging that bull. Whereas I'm the, kind of the other way. Buck is the one criteria that I feel like I can separate more calves with because it's not all of them have it. 
Most of them are going to have kick. Most of them are going to have spin. Most of them are going to have intensity. And all of that causes difficulty. But when a calf starts turning loose to the ground and, you know, getting his front end off the ground even higher than, than the other one, I remember as a bull rider, that just makes more drop. And the more drop they are, the harder they are to ride. So that's a criteria that I like to use to separate. I know guys that, you know, they are really critical on kick. So when one is kicking the lights out with full extension, they jump all over it. And, um, you know, intensity is another one that's really easy to separate stuff. But I tell guys, if, if you can, try to find something that you really like and jump on to grab hold of. And it's usually not the same criteria in all judges. So that helps you have a little bit of a different variance of what guys like. Doesn't everybody just like one that spins 100 miles an hour, drifts across the arena, and kicks doing it? Some guys like one that's jumping real high and dropping and kicking through it. Other guys, they just like one. They just want to see him kicking the lights up. They ain't even that worried if he's spinning the whole time. But when you put those five criteria together and you understand that, yeah, he didn't spin the whole time, so I have to take a little bit away you're still getting a variance of different opinions and you're seeing different things that guys like. So, so basically everyone can, can have a, a personal preference uh, to help them separate the first place bull from say the second or third place bull. Exactly. What I've learned watching judges judge when you have guys that doesn't don't use their spread. And when I say don't use their spread, when they have lots of ties at the top, they may have first two place bulls tied. They may have the next three or four bulls tied. Usually those are guys that, one, are scared to make a decision and decide which one's better, or they don't know the criteria good enough and haven't found that one that they could really use to decide if that one bull's a 22 and a quarter and the next one's a 22 and a half. They're just going to just write a safe number down and say, I ain't sure which one is better, so I'm just going to let them be the same. I think as a guy gets to judging these competitions more and seeing more calves, and that's the beautiful thing about Border Town, you get in front of a lot of calves at Border Town, you start being able to critique these criteria themselves individually a little better, and you'll notice you'll start having less ties. And that's kind of one of my pet peeves when I go judge. And it happens sometimes when the calves are great, you just get caught up in it. But my goal when I show up is to pick a winner, try not to have very many ties at the top, when you get nowadays the way the calves are, when you get from about 21 and three quarters down to about 21, if there's 60 bulls entered, that could be 35 of them fitting yeah. at one tight little range. Uh, but what we're seeing now, the American Heritage this year was, if anybody was there, they'll just understand it was crazy because I've judged the first American Heritage and most of the ones up until now, and used to there would be two special calves, a handful of really good calves, then some that are okay and a lot of not very good ones because people are having to nominate them so early. Mm-hmm. Well, this last year, we had 200 calves in the Heritage, and it took an 88.4 to win a check. When you thought you marked one high enough that nothing's going to be <laughs> better than him, the next one was better than him. So all of us as a judging crew, you know, we most of us had a winner, and some of us had couples split in the next hole, and then maybe a couple split and all like that. Then you notice that, Every judge gets into, by the time you get down to 22 pointers, you know, I might have five 22 pointers on my sheet. But as a whole, with five different opinions, we really didn't have very many ties from the top to the bottom placing bulls. And I thought that was a really good uh, compliment to the five guys that showed up there and did their job because we didn't just all write down the same numbers and let everybody split all the money up. 
let's go kind of leading into to what you're talking about right there with judging the heritage and how racing bulls were kind of another thing I wanted to touch on. It's sure got to be difficult judging, you know, 100, 200 bulls at the setting, the finals, the heritage. You know, border counties sometimes we get that many fraternity bulls. And, and there's there's a way that you can use your spread. You kind of touched on that with, with your categories and finding something they like. But uh, it's, got, it's got to take a special guy that's not afraid to barn for him and pick pick a winner when when you're buffing 100 bulls. Surely it's, it's got to get halfway blurry. It, it does, especially I've been at Border Town before where we bucked 100 calves, and uh, maybe the best one was the first or second one out, and I tell you, it happens a lot, and it's nobody's fault. It's just the way judging's always been. You know, usually you think the farther you go along, there's going to be something better. So when you're a judge and you sit down in front of a bunch of two-year-olds, now in this current era of bucking bulls, if you see a 22-and-a-half-pointer the first trip, you better mark him that because if you mark him 22-and-a-quarter thinking there's going to be four or five of them later on that better and they're not, you've just kind of capped what you've got to use for your spread. So I always tell guys, the first really good one you see jump all over it, don't be afraid of putting a good number on him. You know, don't make a 23-pointer out of a 22-pointer, but don't be scared to say that's a 22-and-a-half-point bull. If I've got some better, I've got plenty of numbers that go above him. But it gives you a little more room to separate some of those small details in those bulls that are around 21 and three quarters to 22. You know, sometimes you just got to flip the coin, figure out where you want to put them. But when you study the criteria, you'll start noticing those little things that help you split those up. And you're seeing so many good calves now, you can't try to think 70 bulls in, do I have first, second, third, and fourth in the right order? You just put the number down that you feel confident that animal has deserved by the criteria that you're using it'll usually sort itself out by the end. So kind of kind of going with that, when when you guys are judging, do, do you do you judge on the bull within the field, the bulls that you've seen so far? In a sense, you kind of have to. Or are you judging that bull in his single trip what he was based on the criteria? Or does it go hand in hand? Does my question make sense? Yeah, we get that question a lot. Now, of course, it's, a, it's kind of a catch-22 question. When when guys see in a one-year period, I may see a particular bull anywhere from five to 15 times now because we have so many competitions. Um, I pride myself in the fact that when I show up to watch them bulls buck, and I'm going to write down what that bull does today. Even though I've seen him last week be 22-pointer or 23-pointer, he still has to perform today to earn that number. Now, of course, if you've seen a bull be really good a lot, you're going to be expecting that out of him. So I'm not saying a judge is not going to have a little bit of a preconceived, I expect this animal to be good. But I think the guys that do a really good job keep that in check really good. They show up, and uh, a perfect example, there was a bull that you know, was one of the top bulls at the ABBI finals last year in the Classic or Derby, I can't remember. Well, one of the first events at Bordertown, he didn't have a very good trip. And everybody there marked him like he didn't have a really good trip. And I thought that was a really good compliment to the guy sitting there at Watertown at night because they didn't mark him off his name or what he'd done at the ABBI finals. They wrote down what he did that night. And that's really the ultimate goal of every judge is to show up and write down the accurate number on every bull you see in front of you, no matter whether he belongs to Joe Blow or, or the you know stock producer of the year. You just want to be thinking, that bull was a 22-pointer tonight, and I don't care who he belonged to. I'm going to write down 22, and, and I can live with it. 
Mm-hmm. Another uh, that's that's good to know because I, I do know that talking to people that that's something that that does get brought up a lot. Well, they've seen this bull ten times. They already know he bucks or he doesn't buck, and he had a good day, vice versa, whatever the case may be. But another thing that kind of been brought to my attention talking to some guys here in the last year or two is is being that there is five sometimes six judges at these events um one one guy may have a bull of 22 22 and a quarter one guy has him a 21 and a half 21 and three quarters but there's been some some talk about a vantage point on these judges that you guys are spread out so far maybe maybe kind of talk about that um with with how that does play into effect or it doesn't play into effect well, one of, one of the places it's the hardest is at Border Town because of the way they're set up around the arena, and you're they're using six judges. Ideally, at an ABBI event, and the two-year-olds and the yearlings where they're bucking with a dummy, so we don't have to have anybody on the back of the shoots. We want to have the judges all out front, not right next to each other, but basically getting the same view. Of course, the ones on the end are going to be a little more closer to the bulls on that side, and, you know, the guy that's on the far end is going to be closer to the bulls on his side. But we all want to be out there kind of seeing the same aspect of the bulls. And I've noticed that those places like Belton or Heritage, where we're all sitting kind of in the same places, the scores seem to stay closer together. When you get to a place like Bordertown or some arenas where it's rounded and a guy gets around there too far on one end or gets too far on one side, you know, you're seeing things a little bit skewed from what the guy opposite of you is. So um, it, it explains why those numbers can be a little different. i tell you where it really shows up in is in the, the uh, rider events because you usually have two judges on the back and the other three out in the arena watching. So it's pretty general for me to know if a guy's on the left-hand delivery, he's going to probably have the bulls right underneath him a little higher than everybody else. So is the guy on the right-hand delivery side. I just want to see that the guys that are out front are pretty close to each other because those three guys are getting the same view. I expect, you know, the guy over the top to be a little higher and the guy over the top on the other side to be higher. And sometimes it doesn't work out like that, but most of the time I can look at the sheets. I've been doing this long enough. I can look at the sheets from a classic event and usually tell you what judge is on the left-hand delivery back and what judge is on the right-hand delivery back <laughs> because yeah. their numbers are going to be a little different than the other guys. And I can usually even tell you what side the bulls are on by their numbers. But, but I've looked at tons of sheets to learn that, and I've judged from all those positions, so I understand that. And that's, that's the deal. Stock contractors are just now starting to understand as a whole that positions matter. Because when a guy takes his bull to the event, he flanks him from the behind the chute, standing right over the top of him, basically with his hands on him when he leaves. Now, he might have watched the three bulls right before his buck, from the front of the bucket chutes, the back of the bucket chutes, or even in the stand. And all of the rest of the bulls that he's probably watched that night have been from various different positions. So it's yeah. hard for me to have that guy come say, well, you marked my bull 22, and you marked that one at 22 and a half. How'd you do that? Well, I said, well, first of all, I've watched all 40 of them the exact same position yeah that, that's a very good point I, I know i've caught myself you know get watching the bull from from the back and and him either being better or worse and being like man that, i thought he was better than that but but at the same time with the, the bull guys are constantly watching the bull from from the back of the buck shoot their their own bull you know kind of gives you a little edge i guess as far as preference of what what the, the owner thought and I have to tell contractors this, and I think they try hard, but 
you're still vested in your animal. I, I feel like almost every stock contractor, when he bucks his bull and he has a really good day, he's looking for all the positives that his bull's doing so he can get the highest score that he can get. Well, then in normal competition mode, then I go watch so-and-so's bull buck. Well, I'm trying to figure out the things. He's not doing good enough to beat my bull. So I'm, <laughs> yeah. a little, I, I'm a little vested in my bull, and I'm also not wanting your bull to beat my bull. So you're looking for really lots of positives on yours and negatives on the other one, whereas all the officials out there that are really good, I'm not invested in your bull. I'm not trying to do, you know, I'm marking what I see. If your bull wins, congratulations. If he doesn't, it's because there's somebody else's bull who's better. I'm not invested and how good your animal performs or how bad your animal performs. Sometimes that's hard because sometimes I write down a four on one that doesn't do anything at all, and I know it makes the guy mad, but I don't want to tell that guy that his four-point bull is a 10, or I don't want to tell a guy that his 12-point bull, even better, I don't want a guy to think that his 18-point bull is a 21-point bull because I don't think 21 might not win a check. I want mm-hmm. you to know, in my opinion, where your bull's at. I want to give you a number I think is a fair, honest uh, evaluation of his trip so that you know where you need to go, whether I need to keep working with him, whether he's going to get better, whether I need to enter him in the 84 and under, whether I need to enter him in the open, you know, what direction I need to go to my cat. I don't need my buddy just judging across the way, trying not to hurt my feelings and giving me a score my bull doesn't really deserve. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. You kind of did touch on the difference between between a, a dummy calf and a rider calf. Uh, so let's let's kind of transition from the dummy deal in, into the rider bull. One thing that that I know has been kind of brought to attention here uh, in the last year or so is is you guys some sometimes at the middle four tough level, some of them classics obviously nine and a half out of ten times them guys are going to try the bulls, but but at Border Town or some other Oakland associations. Uh, the guy quality may be uh, a little a little lower than than what you would hope. And are you guys able to watch the the complete motion, the bull to complete his motion as the guy comes off? Um, what what do you is there a difference you know that you look for in a in a rider bull versus a, a fraternity calf, or, or do you kind of go on the same same? Uh, I don't want to say criteria, but I think you kind of catch a drift what I'm going at here. You are using the criteria still when you get to the rider bulls, and you're exactly right. It's gotten so tough at certain places to have quality riders show up that are going to give an honest effort on a bull. You know, they're not there just to make an extra hundred bucks because somebody's paying them to get on and nod their head. So you have to determine whether that bull is finishing his trip, you know, as he bucks the golf, was he meaning to fix him to start spin, or do you think, in your opinion, he was going to keep going straight? And that's that happens a lot. There's lots of bulls that win money that some, some contractors think he wasn't turning, some guys think he was. But with the rider situation where it's at, we have to be looking for every opportunity to reward a bull because I could watch – 30 bulls at a certain jackpot in my backyard and they can one jump 30 guys. How are you going to split those up if you're not being really critical of, okay, that bull dropped his shoulder or led with his left foot. So that tells me he's probably going to come and spin. I mean, I'm not saying you're, you're getting cracked that critical, but you have to be able to distinguish whether that bull is going to turn, change direction, whether he's not, you have to be able to determine whether he's 
extending his kick when the rider's on him, or if that was the next jump after he bucked the job and he gave the big, huge kick with his a full extension, and that happens a lot too, and and it gets all the judges, myself included. There's nothing that'll that'll sneak up and bite you in the tail better than you watch one turn out of there, spin right in the gate, hit his butt up in the air, and he throws the guy off, and then the guy hits the ground, and the very next jump, man, his feet are kicking the lights out, and you're going, wow, what a great bull. Then you see it on the Facebook Live feed or video two days later because somebody posted it don't know how this bull beat this bull and you're like yeah that bull didn't have the extinction when the guy was actually on him so i think the really good judges are getting way better at noticing those things and they'll tell the contractors i've i've told contractors before the only way i can split your two bulls up is your bull held his feet for two jumps and the other one didn't you know that's it, it gets that tight it's a little harder in the in the, in the two-year-old deal than it is the rider deal but you can only mark those bulls for what they're giving credit for, and that's when the rider is on them, and you're letting them finish that move that they started with the rider on. Them. So as the, as we get to the the built board toughs and the turn pros and the velocities where they have classics, we have less of those issues because guys ride at a higher level, so therefore they ride farther, and you get to see a lot more of the animals. But to be a quality judge nowadays, you had better be able to honestly put a number on an animal. For sometimes a, a eighth of a second of a trip, because <laughs> that might be all you get to see. <laughs> so you guys are you guys are trained to, to to look for certain criteria whether whether the you know the guy stays on point five seconds or, or eight seconds. And it gets a little harder if you're one of the guys judging the bull riding, where you're having to pay attention to the guy and the bull at the same time. It's going to be a little harder for you to critique the bull at the level the other three guys are. But you're hoping those guys doing their job because all they're doing is watching the bull will help balance it out. We always kind of have a joke that when we're judging. There's usually a guy every now and then that just throws a number out there that's really high, and on the same bull you got a guy that throws out a number that's too low. But when you add those two scores together, they usually work out where that bull ends up right where he's supposed to end up. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when you've got good judges that kind of – subconsciously you take care of each other. When one screws up, there's another one that's kind of helping out by being too critical, and, and it works itself out for the most part. Happens a lot more in the rider bulls than it does the other ones. But, you know, like I said, we're getting to these these bulls are getting where they're so much farther ahead than the bull riders. You know, you have to have an opinion. I go to a pro rodeo. They give us the liberty at a professional rodeo that if I don't think I saw a bull buck long enough to give him an accurate number – I don't have to give him a score. I can put a zero or just a question mark, which tells, you know, the guys at the office looking at the numbers or the, the directors that you didn't get to see enough. We don't have that luxury in ADBI. So if you see one for one second, you better have a number in your head you can put on him. And that contractor can't argue that you're wrong because I'm giving you my opinion of what I got to see that animal do for one second. So so speaking about the, the quick buck-offs, you know, on on the dummy deal, you've already touched on it. The dummy's going to ride them bulls for four seconds, no matter how hard or terrible that bull is. But when we come to the rider deal, the, the guy may ride it for one second, or he may ride it for six or seven seconds. So kind of touch on, on the, the, the difference of, you know, a bull can sure break off the ground and kick the lights out and turn, make half around, throw the guy off in, in 1.82 seconds, versus a bull that kicks and turns in the gate, never weakens, the guy stays over for six seconds. Uh, I mean, 
surely, surely you're not going to dock the bull being that guy rode him six seconds if he was doing everything right versus the same bull that throwed his guy off in two seconds. Or does, or does you're that exactly player. right. But a lot of times when you get a really fast buck off, it's because a bull has been so high in intensity, buck, kick, spin, degree of difficulty, leaving the chute, that the guy can't weather the storm and get past it. And mm-hmm. also okay. seen the exact same bull get ridden for eight seconds. And, uh, you know, perfect example, I think, not this year, but the year before last, one of the bulls that was first or second in the Classic actually got rode that night at the Velocity Fire and was still, I think the bull uh-huh. score on the bull was still a 46. But that bull performed for the whole eight seconds how he had started. You know, he bucked outstanding at the beginning, outstanding at the end. The only advantage you get when you throw a guy off as a bull owner is you haven't gave your animal an opportunity to not stay that good. I have to assume as a judge, if that's all I'm going to see, that that's what he's going to do for eight seconds because that's all I've got to base my opinion on. Whereas I see a bull buck, and sometimes you'll see it. He starts a 23, guy rides in five seconds, but by five seconds he's turned to a 21 and a half. Now where you put that bull, you got to split him in there somewhere at 22, 22 and a quarter. So sometimes riding him longer gives the bull an opportunity to not keep up to the level of performance that he needs to to beat a great bull. That's just it's it's like anything else when you get to the ride, Bill's luck of the draw. If I, if I draw a guy that can ride, it's gonna help me more than it's gonna hurt me because I'm gonna show my bull long enough to give him a good chance to win. But sometimes you draw the guy that rides too good and it gives the bull <laughs> an opportunity to realize that, hey, he's still on and I ain't figured out how to find model so I'm going to ease up and forget about this trip, you know, and and that happens. So, so great bull. Go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, so basically, if if a guy does ride your bull six, seven, eight seconds, it, it not necessarily hurts you. The bull doesn't have to throw throw a guy off in one second to win, but if they do ride him a, a distance, he's got to stay as good or better than he started. That That's the key. For a bull to go four, five, six, seven, eight seconds and have a chance to be a competition successfully winning bull, he's going to have to stay at that same level or get better. You know, there's bulls that start out 21 and a half and end 23 and a half. So, you know, it happens both ways. Uh, but, you know, there's bulls in the past you know, that, that – you could think anybody can ride them for three seconds, and by the time you get to six seconds, God can't ride. But you mm-hmm. know, but for the most part, these calves have learned from such a young age, especially coming up through the two-year-olds in the urban deal. I better be firing right out of there and doing my deal because those calves have been bucked more and more because they're doing that. If you've got one that goes four to five trips in him by the time he's a three-year-old, but if I've got that calf that can take me to an event and he spins right in the gate and he does everything that you want one to do and he's a high-level bull and he wins a lot, when he transitions over to the next level, he's probably going to do that when he goes to the rider. He's going to spin right in the gate and do all that stuff at a high level right there because that's what he's been used to. For sure, for sure. So kind of kind of to wrap up uh, a, a little bit, um, with with all these events going on nowadays and, and more events coming up, new guys. I mean, obviously we need new judges every day, it seems like, with all the events. What kind of tips? I mean, you, you've been judging for a really, really long time. Some some tips, pointers, advice to some new guys wanting to judge 
to get into the competition side of things, what what do you got for them? Well, the first first thing you will have to do is you have to get in front of calves with dummies. And when I say that, you have to start learning how to sit down and watch calves buck with a dummy, figure out what kind of number they've got, to, to you know how to mark them, how you're going to use your criteria to explain where you're getting your numbers from. Uh, one of the best tools that Bordertown has put out there is they have a live feed of every event. And I tell guys when I go do a seminar in Colorado or talk to somebody in North Carolina or I bump into a guy in Idaho that's, that's pretty young and wants to start judging, I said, get on Facebook, go to Bordertown, watch those live feeds, write all the scores down what you think they are, and at the end of the night, they're going to go back on their Facebook page and they're going to post the scores. Well, now I've got one, I've got a total out there to decide. So if I thought that bull was a 42, I double it, makes him 84. I can go see how I got him ranked as these other guys do. But it also gives you the individual judges' scores, and I can look at a stronger judge, a guy that I know does a lot of events and does a really good job. I can compare my numbers to his, you know. I'm not to say any names, but there's some guys you see up there at Bordertown a lot, and there's guys you don't see very much. If I'm a newer guy, and I've talked to me personally, I might tell him one of those guys that's been there a lot, say, don't compare your numbers to these guys because these guys do a pretty good job. That's why they get to keep coming back. And if you can afford to go do some events at Bordertown, you know, that's good. Or if you live in North Carolina or Colorado, there's places you can go and go dummy of uh, shadow judge. Go sit over there to the side, watch the bulls buck, write down numbers. I mean, everybody's got to practice. Even stock contractors will tell you all the time, when they first started bucking their bulls, they didn't know if he was 81 or 85. But they've done it enough. They've talked to enough breeders. They've looked at the sheets enough. Now they are learning where they can evaluate their animals as they're bucking them. Well, that's all you're doing is you're practice judging. You know, so I tell guys that want to do this where they're on the other end and they're having to divvy out the money by way of the bulls place, go get in front of lots of calves. Watch lots of videos. And with the tools that the Facebook and Internet and social media has given us to use, the live feeds, the scores, the results, you know, the winners, the trips, a lot of these, you know, breeders are putting their bulls trips on there. Go back and look at that stuff. And don't get caught up in the old school mentality that there was, you know, the bulls are ranker back then or the ranker now. <laughs> Just go watch calves, compare your number to those guys' calves, and study these criteria. Uh, you can go to the ABBI website, and you can pull up the, I believe it's the media guide, and down there on about page 27 of the media guide, you can pull up all of the criteria, explains them in detail, kind of what you look for, how do you get to them. And uh, I tell guys, try to put numbers on them, but just you know, learn your numbers. Uh, that little may be a four. But when you're discussing it with a contractor, y'all are never going to agree on the numbers. Just be, really be able to tell them, that bull's really high in spin. That bull's really high in buck. He's below average in kick, below average in difficulty because he wasn't very intense. A contractor can't argue that explanation on your bull. If that's kind of what he did, and he saw him do that, and he knows that that's what you saw. But if I walk over and tell you when your bull bucks, I like him better than that guy's bull. That doesn't help you or the other guy out any at all. Yeah. So kind of tips tips to the guys wanting to get, get started in judging just like anything in rodeo or even life for that matter. Get in front of some bulls, watch them buck with the dummy, study the criteria. And heck, I guess uh, when, you, when you feel you're ready, get in touch with Roy and try and get you a job. 
Yeah, I, I've got I've, not just AB by events, but I have lots of other outlets that I know guys can go get you know opportunities to step in there. Uh, I like to recommend guys that I know are doing their homework. I know some guys that's been judging for a few years. It's still you know they're not doing they're not running their stopwatch. They're not you know not having an opinion on whether one falls or not. It's going to be hard for me to tell a guy that's putting on an event to hire that guy when I know the guy sitting right next to him is watching his stopwatch every time, and he knows that the dummy stays on too long. And he's if a bull falls, he has an opinion whether he fell or not, and he's wanting to do a good job. He's not writing them all down the same number and letting somebody else place the event. He has an opinion. I'm going to recommend that guy go do more events than the other guy. And that, that's just me. I think the way you get better is by having your own opinion being confident in your own opinion and getting out there and, and doing the legwork, doing your homework. If I have to go to Seneca and watch a couple of times and sit over there with a pen and pad for free and learn how to do it correctly, I feel like that pays off a guy in the long run. It's the guy that just, I'm not going because they ain't paying me. That's the guy that's probably not ever going to get to do much judging. you got to mm-hmm. have a passion for this because every contractor that shows up at this event has paid an entry fee for your opinion to tell him whether his animal was good enough to win or not. So if you don't care as a judge, that guy's not going to be happy with you being there as a judge. So I want guys that are passionate about the, the industry and making sure that the right animal wins, not the right name person's calf wins or the right name calf. Or I want a guy showing up with a blank slate every week saying, I'm going to mark the best one the highest. Yeah, that's awesome, <clears throat> Thor. You you awake over there? Man, I'm wide awake. I'm just I'm at the edge of my seat. I'm eating this up. Yeah. Well, I hope uh, I was I was pretty excited uh, to, to get to talk to Roy. Um, I think, I mean, I I, I don't know about you, but but I think uh, we've got a lot of good points across the board to to a lot of contractors listening. I know the judging deal is a a, a pretty um, touchy subject, you could say. Um, any, anything you got to got to add for, for Roy? You got any questions that arose? Kind of need to start wrapping it up a little. Now, yeah, I'm, the the biggest thing that surprised me, I, I learned I learned as much as anybody during this silly deal. But the biggest thing that surprised me is when I was I don't know rodeoing, growing up, whatever, watching the NFR, watching Roy ride, or trying to stay up late enough to watch the NFR to watch Roy ride. Uh, <laughs> that change of direction was like if a bull went both ways. That was worth more points, and a bull stayed the same way. And now we're learning, at least in the competition side, that's not really the case. And and he, and he explained it good enough. I'm convinced. I'm just uh, that was uh, that was news to me. Now to cover that up, sometimes when that happens, it can actually enhance the bull. The bull's going one direction, has a big jump, goes the other way. I could take a little bit away from spin, like we were talking about a while ago. Instead of being a five, he's a four and a half, but he might have went to a five in difficulty where the other one that stayed the same is a four in difficulty. Sure. So it doesn't necessarily make you more difficult or less difficult. But the thing you got to remember in these two-year-olds, especially they've got four seconds to do all their stuffing. Yeah. And, and I see it a lot. Uh, a bull can go two or three jumps straight and spin and be really bucking at the end and get a good score. And I could see one spin right in the gate for three seconds and then jump and kick and not get a good score. And that makes no sense to me most of the time because they're doing the same thing. If, one, if nothing else, the one might be doing it better, but because he did it at the end, he gets docked harder for it. So I try to really push in the guys. That's why you run your stopwatch. You see where that four-second mark is. 
And if that calf went straight for three jumps and then turned back and the whistle blows at five seconds and he only supposed to judge four, <clears throat> he may look like the best calf, but when you start using your criteria, especially a number for spin, he's not going to beat a calf. It might not have been as outstanding at the end, but did the whole trip better for the four seconds he was supposed to complete the whole time, for sure. Yeah. Well, Royd, uh, we we sure appreciate you joining on here. Hopefully, this is kind of an educational, informational podcast. We I know I was excited to, to talk to you and kind of shed light on some of these contractors. Take a listen to this and see see what you guys look for, and and that it is a, an opinionated uh, event. But being that that we you know contractors do have money on the line, that you guys do take pride in. Heck, there's there's a lot more that goes into it uh, than I think a lot of people think about. The ABBI in the last year, we have really talked a lot, and I say we because I'm on the committee, about having more places to educate not only the officials but the contractors, the partners, the owners, you know, the people involved. And uh, Seminars is always the easiest way, but it's hard to coordinate those and get those going, and we had a really hard time last year trying to get the groundwork for it. But Cord stepping up and wanting to have one at his place and a I've heard a couple of other guys mention having some, and I really, really love the fact that we could buck live bulls there. Guys get their hands dirty. I say, you know, writing live scores down, running their stopwatch. I feel like those guys got a lot more out of that seminar than anyone that I've been involved with or went to and watched. I mean, I've been to tons of PRCA seminars and been to some, you know, lots of PBR seminars, and they're, none of them are bad. But, man, when you can get your hands and your eyes right on live stock, fresh, you know, right there in front of you. I think it's something that may catch on at a lot of places, and I hope a lot of these smaller places like, you know, the Lab Association, North Carolina, South Dakota, out there on the West Coast, you know, all these places, they'll start maybe using that to help the quality of their judges. Because when it all comes down to it, it doesn't matter where you live, who's got the bulls, everybody that brings one's paying the entry fee. And I feel like the better chance you can give the officials that are, giving out the money to know what they're doing, the, the easier it makes the event. A great event's where nobody complains about the placing of the judges, and there's not a lot of them, but that's when a <laughs> judging program is successful when you leave there. And everybody, even though they don't want to miss it, says, yeah, that was, that was about right. And that's the one thing last year that we got from the American Heritage as a group of officials. We didn't hear a bunch of guys saying that the bull that won fifth was supposed to win second or seventh. We thought, for the most part, everybody we talked to thought it went pretty much like it was supposed to, and that's a huge compliment. It's awesome. It sounds like, like you guys, as far as the judging committee, the ABBI, uh, sure trying to keep keep your guys' skills at top level, um, uh, allow new guys the opportunity to to not just jump in and mark bulls and, and say get them wrong, but but to to have have their skills in tip top shape before you know they're they're actually marking bulls for for money but uh thor um talking about all these events and everything uh we've got somebody uh, we'd like to invite you guys to go check out peregrine cattle services uh amanda sears she uh offers bull cow full mortality insurance with all these events um bulls you know gets hurt injured uh it's kind of these bulls are worth a lot of money nowadays uh probably pretty good uh good investment get some insurance on these bulls they also offer any kind of bovine insurance you, you can think of. Um, check them out on Facebook, Paragon Cattle Services, Amanda Sears. 
Uh, we want to thank her for jumping on board with Buck and Stock News, and as well as Two Bulls Feed, Jim McLean, thank you, um, jumping on board, believing in what we're doing. Roy, thank you. It's great, great talking with you. Uh, Thor, My pleasure. I guess, I guess we'll catch them next time. Good talking to you, Roy. Hey, you bet, guys. And I want to give a little bit of a shout-out to Jay Daugherty. I guarantee you there's no guy in the ABBR or the Bucking Bull business trying harder to make this uh, this uh, business more productive and, and build it to the next level. So, And I, I know you guys work pretty close with Jay. And, and if you got any questions about Bucking Bull stuff, you can give him a holler, and he sure got answers. But let's give him a shot because he's, he's really, I think, on the next step of making this thing get to the level everybody wants to get to, he works his butt off and, and you know, should get a little bit around applause from all those guys, especially those guys that get to work with him. But you guys know him as well as I do. He does a great job. Speaking speaking of Jay, uh, that's very true. We, we've we kind of got the opportunity to buck the stock news and, and ABBI to kind of join for, forces a little bit. And uh, for everybody listening, stay tuned this week. Um, we've actually got, We've done one episode with Jay already. It was actually our first episode of BSN Podcast. Um, but we have another episode. We're going to call it Part 2 with Jay Doherty um, of, of some, some questions that have arose, concerns uh, that Jay's wanting to clear up, uh, talk about whether, you know, some, some plan of attack to, to you know, fix these issues or, or things they have in place uh, to kind of extend on what we've already talked about. Um, I think a lot of people are, are going to get a lot out of that, like like Roy said Jay does nothing but want to make this industry better, and, and I think that's something that uh, all the bull breeders and, and buck and bull fans can look forward to, to listening to. We're gonna we're gonna clear up some gray areas here. I think that we're gonna record that on Wednesday, so you guys can stay tuned for this week uh, later this week to, to check that out. So cool, thanks right. for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you, and uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode of BSN Podcast.